Welcome to Wednesday Evening Discipleship. My name is H, for those of you that don't know me, and tonight I'm going to be looking at this theme of intercessory prayer. We're going to be building on what Tim spoke about on Sunday, where he looked from Philippians 4 at this idea of standing firm and standing together. And one of the things that Tim drew out from the passage was Paul's desire for the Philippians to be of the same mind, to have a common purpose, a common hope and a common desire and to help one another, to contend with one another for the sake of the gospel. And this theme is so particularly poignant at the moment as we see all that has been brought to the fore with the death of George Floyd reminding us again of the injustice of racism and all of the suffering that it brings. And right at the heart of Jesus' desire was to see unity. Tim touched on John 17, where we see Jesus himself praying for unity. He prays that the body of believers would be brought to complete unity because he knew that it was through that that people would see God's love. And this prayer today still goes unanswered. It is still a prayer to be praying today for unity. It's right at the heart of God's desire for his church. And one of the ways that we can come to unity together is through prayer, particularly through intercessory prayer. And this evening I'm going to be looking at this idea and then Jago is going to come and talk to us about how we can be specifically praying for the end of racism and for hope and for reconciliation. Intercessory prayer, it has this incredible quality to it to bring unity. Because when we come together in prayer, we are united around a common purpose, a common desire, a common hope. This desire to see God's will be done on this earth this desire to see people come to know him and for the end of suffering. So what is intercession? Well, if I had to sum intercession up in a few words, I would say that it is when we are moved to respond in prayer to the things in this world that we see that are not right, that are not God's will where we see suffering, where we see injustice, where we see disunity, discord, when we see illness, sickness, we're moved to get on our knees and to say to the Lord, intervene, come and intervene, and may your will be done in this particular situation. And I think there are two things that help us to see the worth of intercessory prayer. There are two things that really we have to believe in order to believe that intercessory prayer has a function, has a worth. The first is to believe that we really have been given a role by God to shape human history, to shape people's lives, to shape situations through prayer. That that is what he asks us to do. He has given us that role. And two, to believe that as we live out this role, as we intercede, to really believe that God's power will break through, that he really will intervene when we ask him to. And I want to focus particularly on some verses in Exodus, Exodus chapter 17. 
And just to give you some context, in this passage, the Israelites are being attacked by the Amalekites. And so in response to this, Joshua has taken the Israelite army to go and defend Israel, to go and defeat the Amalekites. And at the same time, Moses has gone to the mountaintop with Aaron and Hur, with the intention of praying, of interceding, all the while that Joshua is fighting. So I'm just going to read these verses from chapter 17. It says, As long as Moses held up his arms, the Israelites won. But when he put his arms down, the Amalekites started winning, i.e. started winning the battle. When Moses' arms grew tired, Aaron and Hur brought a stone for him to sit on, while they stood beside him and held up his arms, holding them steady until the sun went down. In this way, Joshua totally defeated the Amalekites. This passage, it shows us what intercession looks like and the role that we and God and those in the church play in intercession. The first thing, very briefly, that this passage tells us is that intercession is absolutely necessary. If Joshua had taken the Israelite army out to fight the Amalekites without Moses praying, without Moses interceding, the Amalekites would have won. Because we see that every time Moses gets tired and drops his arms, the Amalekites start to win. So we know from the outset that intercessory, intercessory prayer is necessary. The second thing that we see is that we are given this partnership with God. Sometimes I find that my problem or the thing I find difficult about intercessory prayer is why I need to do it. Because if intercessory prayer is aligning myself with God's will and then asking him to release his power and action that will, so I think, well, why do I need to ask? If this is what you want, God, and you have the power to do it, then I'm really not sure why you need me to ask you to do it. But we know, don't we, that God has chosen right from the outset to involve us. Pete Gregg, he talks about God being the great delegator. He has designed the whole of his world to involve us, to do things in partnership with us. So when we come to God and when we intercede, we see him release his power. He's given us free will. And in the Garden of Eden, we see Adam and Eve make that choice where they say to God, my will, not your will. When we come to God in prayer, we do the opposite. We come to God, we see the brokenness, we see what's happening around us, and we say, God, your will be done. Not my will, but your will. We do the opposite of what Adam and Eve did. We exert our will in the direction of God's will. We align our will with God's will. And when we do that, it releases God's power. When we intercede, then God intervenes. That's how God has designed it. And that's why intercessory prayer is such a privilege. Because what God is basically saying to us is, come and do it with me. Come and share my burdens. Come and share my heart with me. And then together, through you praying, see the world change. See my will be done. Pete Gregg, one of probably his most famous quotes when it comes to talking about intercessory prayer, says this. says, the hinge of human history is the bended knee. 
we really have been given the opportunity to shape what we see by asking God, by coming to him on our knees and asking him to intervene. That's how he has chosen to do it. So we see as Moses does this, God intervenes, his power breaks through. We also see the third thing that we see is not just a partnership with God in intercessory prayer, but a partnership with one another. Intercessory prayer, it brings us together, it unites us around a common purpose or a common prayer, a common desire to see something change. If Moses had gone up to the mountaintop without Aaron and her, the Amalekites would have won because Moses wouldn't have lasted the distance. He wouldn't have been able to keep praying for as long as he needed to. He needed Aaron and her to hold up his arms in order to be able to keep interceding. There is an incredible unity that comes when we gather together in prayer to pray for God's will, to pray for God's will to be done. I don't know if any of you got involved in the upper Zoom last weekend, but I found that hour of praying so incredible, not just because I was, I was sort of in partnership with God, but also because I was in partnership with those that I was praying to. It brought this sort of bond because you felt this closeness as you prayed around the same subjects. So intercessory prayer, it brings unity. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I find intercessory prayer quite hard. And you sort of think that you need to go on for ages in order to do it. And you hear about the sort of the prayer warriors, or oh, he or she was a great intercessor. And I feel incredibly intimidated. But one of the things that I have found so helpful with intercession is to ask God to come and break my heart for what breaks his heart. Because the reality is, is we're only really going to be compelled to pray and to continue praying when we really care about the matters that we are praying about. And when we say to God, come and show me what's burdening you, come and show me what's breaking your heart, God, and break my heart for those things, it changes everything. Suddenly we find ourselves compelled to get on our knees and to pray for those things. It's quite hard because the reality is, is what we allow to happen is to feel the pain that God feels to some degree. And so we sit with that pain, we sit with that heartbreak that God has. But it means that we also then pray. We pray for change because we are completely invested in seeing that change come about. It's one of the greatest privilege intercessory prayer because what it does is it takes you so close to the heartbeat of God, to what's so close to his heart, to what really matters to him. It's such a privilege to be in partnership with God in that way. I read this quote the other day by Thomas Kelly, who was a Quaker, and he said this as we, sort of, as we ask God to break our hearts. He said, we are quickened to a divine but painful concern for the world. God plucks the world out of our hearts, loosening the chains of attachment, and then he hurls the world into our hearts, where we and he together carry it in infinitely tender love. My hope is that tonight we can get together and, as connect groups and we can spend time interceding for God's 
world, practicing what we've just been hearing about. And Jago is now just going to jump in and talk to us specifically how we can be praying for the end of racism and for hope and reconciliation. So I'm going to hand over to Jago now. In 1963, Martin Luther King had a dream for an America marked by equality and justice and freedom between black and white. Now, tragically, whilst there has been much progress in the last 57 years, that dream, it is still just a dream. It isn't a reality. And yet, let's be clear, it's not just a problem in America. The problem of racism is a problem that exists here in the UK too. Now, it is right for Christians for us to dream Martin Luther King's dream. We know where that dream will become a complete reality in the multi-ethnic vision of all God's people in the heavenly kingdom, a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne. Now, that is a dream for the eternal future. But it is a dream that we should be praying for, that we should be working for right now too as well, isn't it? You know, Jesus told us to pray, God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Now, there's lots that I don't know in this situation. There's lots of ways I feel ill-equipped to speak into this situation. And I'm only too aware that in many ways I am a picture of white male privilege. But I do know that it is wrong to remain silent in the face of injustice. T.D. Jakes, who is the leader of the Potter's House Church in the States, he has recently said this. He said the church has a very difficult history when it comes to racial issues. We've become complicit participants and now we have just been silent. I don't know which one is worse. Both of them are traumatic. There's so much that could and should be said in response to George Floyd's killing. And many people will say things far more wisely than me, far more eloquently than me. But if I was just to share one Bible verse that has been sort of pressing in on me more than any other in the last few days, it's a little verse in 1 Corinthians 12 where the Apostle Paul, he's writing of the church and he says this, he says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. One person in our church, Priscilla, she's black, she's in her 20s, and Priscilla said this to me. She said, when I look at George Floyd dying under the knee of a white man, and I see in him my brother, my dad, or my nephew, all members of HTC should also see him in this way and be just as enraged. And she's right to, to not care, to, to be silent in the face of injustice. It is to devalue black lives. As Benjamin Franklin once said, justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. John Tyson, the pastor of Church of the City in New York, has said uh, this week how the killing of George Floyd is not just a tragedy in its own right, but it is also a condensed symbol, a visual parable of the whole problem of racism. We see a white man, an officer of the law, with his knee on the neck of a black man, seemingly oblivious of the problem, his hand in his pocket, extinguishing the black man's life as the man calls out, I can't breathe. And with that horrendous image in our mind, we declare if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. 
Whoever we are, whatever our skin colour, we must stand with people everywhere who experience racism and speak out against this injustice. We must say black lives matter. You know, St Augustine, probably the most famous Christian theologian outside of the Bible. He lived around 400 AD. Most famously, said our heart, he said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. You know, he was a person of colour. He was from North Africa. He wasn't white like is so often uh, depicted in paintings of him over the centuries. And that in itself, it says much about our church and about our society. But St Augustine, he also said this. He said, hope has two beautiful daughters. Their names are anger and courage. Anger that things are the way they are. And courage to see that they do not remain as they are. And as people of hope, it is right for us to be both angry about the current situation, to to have a right anger, a holy discontent, which doesn't lead us to, to sin or to violence, but which does lead us to respond with courage. Anger and courage. Now, now this isn't a simplistic issue. And now is not the time for grand pronouncements, certainly not from me, where there is so much that I don't know and many ways that I want to and I need to grow and I want us as HDC to grow together. None of us can do everything, but we all must do something to make it harder and harder for racism to exist. And it's worth saying that all sorts of commentators, they are totally correct when they say that it's not enough just to to be not racist, to, to be neutral, if you like. No, we need to be actively anti-racist. And that fits with all sins. I mean, take greed. Jesus doesn't just say to us, do not be greedy. But he also encourages us to be actively generous, to be anti-greed. Ijeoma Oluo, the writer of the book, So You Want to Talk About Race, she writes this. She says, the beauty of anti-racism is that you don't have to pretend to be free of racism to be an anti-racist. Anti-racism is the commitment to fight racism wherever you find it, including in yourself. But you know, for each of us, our courageous response in amongst listening to others, reading up on this issue, speaking out on it. Our courageous response, it must include prayer and intercession. Prayer isn't the whole answer, but it is an important and vital place to start. And what are we to pray for? Well, fundamentally, we're to pray for two things. We're to pray for racial justice, for an end to discrimination and for there to be equality. And we're to pray for racial harmony, for an end to hostility and for there to be reconciliation. And, you know, both of those things, racial justice and racial harmony, both of them, they are at the heart of the gospel. Just think of Ephesians 2. We are all equally justly deserving of God's wrath. We are all equally recipients of God's lavish, undeserved love and grace. We are all equally brought near to God through Jesus. And through Jesus, we are reconciled. We're reconciled vertically to God and we're reconciled horizontally with other people. Through the cross, Jesus destroyed the barrier. He he destroyed that dividing wall of hostility that was back then between Jew and Gentile, creating one new humanity out of the two. So on the big scale, let's cry out in intercession for those two things, for racial justice and for racial harmony. And then more specifically, 
Let's be praying. Let's be interceding for all sorts of things. Let's be praying for the friends and family of George Floyd, for for God to comfort them in their grief. Let's be praying for the millions of other BAME people who are just experiencing these wounds surfacing yet again of being reminded how they've been treated unfairly and discriminated against. Let's be praying for so many of us who are rightly angry that in our anger we would not sin, but that we would be people of courage. Let's pray, let's intercede for the church and uh, and for us as Christians, both globally and HTC specifically. Let's pray that we would understand our role as prophets and as peacemakers as we both pray and we act. Let's pray for the nation of America, particularly seemingly so broken at the moment. Let's pray for systematic changes that are needed to take place, to take place in countries, to take place in organisations, to take place in the church, to take place in our hearts. Let's intercede that these walls of hostility be removed and let's pray for reconciliation to take place. Let's be praying for healing. Let me finish with... Pete Gregg's post on Instagram with that moving image that you may have seen of police officers kneeling and asking for forgiveness in Miami as protesters approached. And under that image, Pete Gregg wrote this. He wrote, question, how do we pray for reconciliation at a time like this? Answer, humbly and with the meekness of Christ. Christ.